Pushing mindfulness within the body, mindfulness within the body, breathing, the body listening. And although we will bring in throughout the retreat a kind of range of suggestions and guidelines about how to expand the practice, this will remain our core practice, understanding what it means to be embodied, present within the body. It's so much the central foundation of satipatthana, of the practice of insight, to know what it means to be embodied. If we are embodied, we are here. If we are embodied, we are not lost. If we are embodied, there is a unification of mind and body. This is one of such of the keys for cutting through the habit patterns of proliferation, of distractedness, of rehearsing, of being lost, of obsession, is learning to be embodied. That when we sit, we sit. When we walk, we walk. When we breathe, we breathe. When we listen, we listen. We're learning to cultivate an art. It's it's not only a skill, it is also an art because it's not just about the technique. It is about within that skill, we're also developing the qualities of patience, of kindness, of perseverance, of learning how to sustain mindfulness not just visit mindfulness, as we do in the beginning often, but really learning how to sustain mindfulness. Now, sometimes, you know, we get the feedback, you know, people are mindful of breathing for a day, you know, or try to be mindful of breathing, uh, mindful of the body for a day and report, you know, that it's not working, you know, that the mind is, is still kind of zooming around and spinning out. Well, you know, we might have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of good practice at distractedness, disconnection, and disunification. Learning to cultivate this unification really requires such patience and perseverance. Personally, I continue to be astonished in teaching to see the profound shifts people can make in a a few days from total kind of distractedness and, and fragmentation to a growing sense of steadiness and unification. And, you know, the key is truly perseverance and patience, kindness, willingness to begin again. It's really not more complicated than that. These are lessons for our life. It's important to remember that. These are not just meditative lessons for a retreat. These are lessons that change our lives, change our ways of being present with all things in our lives. The Buddha gave so much attention to really understanding and exploring what it is that really distorts our capacity, what clouds our heart's capacity for radiance, for stillness, for peace, for clarity, for calm, for tranquility, serenity, really gave so much attention to understanding what it is that covers 
all of that over. And this is a very universal story of that covering. We might experience it quite personally, but actually, you know, if we invited any of you to come up here and take the microphone and just guide us through one of your own sittings, Sleepy. Oh no, I'm so restless. I'm boy. I'd really like a different city. I really don't like what's going on here. I don't think I can do this. Sleepy. <laughs> Agitated. And you know what? If you guided us through one of your sittings, you wouldn't look out there at a group of women who looked at you with bewilderment and thinking, oh, poor woman, she's really having a hard time. You'd look out there at a group of women saying, Mm-hmm. Know this one. Know this one. We're knowing this territory because what we're really looking at here are the mental states that distort not only our capacity for peace and radiance and clarity when we practice, but that are operate in every area of our lives. That operate in every area of our lives. And often when we speak about these mental states, you know, of craving for sensual pleasure, of aversion, of sloth and torpor, of restlessness and worry, and of doubt, it is really what the Buddha called the five manifestations of the three big ones that I was speaking about last night, of greed, hatred, and delusion. This is how they manifest in our lives. So not things to get over. They are the root of every psychological, emotional storm in our lives. They're truly states to understand, to understand, to turn into objects of our practice. So to touch on them a little bit briefly, look at this craving for sensual pleasure, how it operates here, because here we have a kind of bubble. It's a sort of microcosmic view of our life, isn't it? Same mind different place. The craving for sensual pleasure. The Buddha didn't say there was anything wrong with sensual pleasure. We have lots of it in our life. But the craving for it, how that manifests in a retreat, in it, we're sure there's a better place to be present in. Sometimes the craving for sensual pleasure arises in the mind in terms of fantasy, imagining, you know, the looking forward to lunch, you know, what's on the menu, the, you know, the better, the better walking path, you know. See how it just keeps taking us away from what is? And you know what's really at the root of this? And this is a really interesting question for me is, you know, basically we have a big, big investment in this life in only wanting to feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. We'd all like to feel good. We'd all like to have a body that feels well, a mind that feels well. We'd all have to have lovely people in our lives. We'd all like to have lovely meditation experiences. But we insist on it. When it turns into insistence, what then happens? We don't have room to allow for the difficult, the unpleasant, the changing, the unstable, that is also part of all of our lives. We don't have room for it anymore because we get locked into this insistence of only allowing one form of sensation, one form of feeling tone to arise and experience that which makes us feel good. 
then we become defended, we become, we push everything else away. In this practice, we love to taste the moments of loveliness in our lives, but equally, equally develop the capacity to embrace all things, the difficult, the challenging, the unpleasant, learning to find a sense of balance rather than imbalance. Because if we have that insistence upon only feeling good or only making room for that which makes us feel good, well, we're certainly going to be triggering a lot of its kind of the colleague of craving for sensual pleasure, which is aversion. How do I push this away? How do I get rid of this? How do I endlessly change the conditions? And that makes us so anxious in our lives. It makes us so fearful. And it certainly covers up that capacity for clarity. And you know what? Sometimes sloth and torpor is interesting in a retreat. It's interesting words, isn't it? We don't usually use them the rest of our lives. But it describes that mind that's sinking. Sometimes it's honest life tiredness. You know, there is such a thing as honest fatigue. (laughs) But there's also the way that the mind just loves to block out. Just likes to numb in a way to what is being experienced, seeking a false refuge in disconnection. Soft and Torp is a lot about this. It's it's often permeated with doubt, you know, not having the confidence to be with what is. So we think, and it's a very challenging one to deal with in retreats, because it's really, I mean, sometimes soft and torpor is kind of pleasant when, you know, you're just sort of snoozing around, you know, and then the bell goes and the sitting's over and you think that one just sped by and then you realize you had sort of total, 45 minutes of total disconnection and then it starts to feel not so good. You know, and sloth and torpor really asks for us to find some of that courage and that absolute commitment to wakefulness. It's not a magic wand, but the absolute commitment to wakefulness. Some of the things we talked about yesterday, about standing, about sitting with your eyes open, about moving, you know, just having a posture of alertness. You know, and its colleague of restlessness and worry is a familiar one, and that's often the mind that is really so speeding, so proliferating in the thoughts. And here, again, you know, coming back, coming back, coming back, really having the patience to do that. Because if, the thing is that if we don't turn these, these mental states into objects of exploration, we end up in doubt. We just feel disempowered. We feel unable. You know, we lose confidence. So it's really that willingness to turn these into objects of practice that allows us to begin to explore them and to see, actually, this is where we develop investigation, energy, joy, calmness amidst these mental states that arise. The most important thing I see about these mental states and the thing that I think is so important to consider is that they sabotage intentionality. And that's what leads, I think, to the most doubt. You know, most of us don't get up in the morning and think, you know, I'm going to have a dedicated day of aversion here. You know, most of us get up in the morning thinking of really wanting to approach our day with as much kindness, you know, as much gentleness and metta as we can. But we see, you know, 
you know, we might come across something that's a little irritating or whatever. And we see that when aversion arises, it just sabotages intentionality. We forget about that initial intention, that commitment. We, you know, we might have and hopefully do have the intention, you know, to cultivate calmness. And then a thought pattern might arise that's a little worrying, a little anxious. And it sabotages that intention. And I see this in life, that these mental states keep knocking us off the path that we truly want to walk on. This is why it's so important to care for them well. Care for them well. We don't have to wait for these mental states to arise, by the way. They will, the winds of them will move through our day in so many different ways. But this is where we practice. This is where we practice. Coming back to the body, coming back always to the body, because this is where we're learning so many of these life lessons. First about how to sustain intention. How do we sustain the intention of wakefulness within this body, within this moment? As we sustain intention, we learn to sustain attention much more ably. This is so important in our practice because what is the kind of saving grace of an intentionality that we can rely on and develop takes us out of the field of impulse. Takes, starts to take us out of that field of reactivity and impulse. Notice the difference between those two. How much of our lives can actually be governed by impulse in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, where we find something happening and it's such a surge that's arisen without, without mindfulness. Learning to sustain intention and attention is is a skill and an art and a craft that actually keeps us on a path in our lives rather than becoming lost over and over again. There are so many lessons we learn within the body because our bodies are so alive. And our bodies present to us a kind of microcosmic view of our whole life experience held within this body. It is why the Buddha once said, you know, that everything there is to learn and to understand can be learnt and understood within the length of this body. (coughs) Sensations, sounds, sights, all of that moving, all of that changing, all of that beginning to be the basis of the world that we live in. There is that in the body which is pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. There is different sensations in the body that trigger different reactions of aversion, of pushing away, of craving, of fearing, of getting lost in. This is a description of our world, isn't it? This is a description of our life. What we are learning within the body is to stay close to sensation as sensation. One of the kind of real key understandings, I think, of mindfulness of body is that this is where we start to to loosen the whole grip of identification that I was talking about last night. But because we see how that zooms in, you know, we take hold of a sensation. It's my body. This is happening to me. 
We can feel the tightness, the contractedness of that. We can feel the ease and the sense of possibility that comes when we don't move into that realm of identification. We take hold of the pleasant sensation. You know, how am I going to make this one last? This is me. I'm doing so well. You know, terrific yogi. You know, I've got a great future in front of me. Ah, we feel that, the identification. We feel the identification in terms of contractedness of the heart, contractedness of the mind, learning to stay with the body as the body, sensation as sensation. We are learning to be with things as they actually are, without the added narrative, without the added story, without the added selfing, without the added identification, and staying with things as they are. This is the doorway of compassion, of kindness, of responsiveness, rather than reactivity and impulsiveness. Resting within the body. Resting within the body in all moments. So today, really sustaining similar anchors as we began with. Establishing mindfulness within the body, the body sitting. Establishing mindfulness within the body, the body breathing. But this is not a defensive mindfulness. Establishing that core ground of mindfulness is also what allows us to be more mindful of all of the moments of departure. They are not a mistake. They are not irrelevant. They are moments of attention moving elsewhere. Can we be mindful there? Know that. That the attention is moved to a sound, to a particular sensation, to a thought. Can we bring the same skills we learn in the body to those movements, to know a thought is a thought, a sound is a sound? a sensation is a sensation, and then being able to return to our primary anchor. So settling, settling into your posture. And in the beginning of the sit, just taking a moment just now to just be aware of the state of your mind. Is there any sense of heaviness or dullness? If so, is it the right moment to stand or to open your eyes or be upright in your posture? Is there any sense of agitation, of worry, of restlessness, streams of thoughts? Is it helpful to be more closely attentive, more focused within the breathing or the touch points of the body? Does the mind feel spacious? 
contracted? Does the heart feel calm or agitated? Simple knowing. (coughs) Simple knowing. Aware of the sense of space around you, the sounds. Listening and nurturing that quality of receptivity. Mindful of your body sitting, a touch of the air, your clothing on your skin, your body touching the ground. Letting the thoughts, the images, just sit in the background of your attention, arising and passing as the sounds do. Quite intentionally establishing a foundation, an anchor for your mindfulness in the hall of the body, or the body breathing listening, and just staying true to that anchor, that foundation, as much as you're able. Being mindful of the moments of departure, being mindful of returning.
being mindful of where your attention is resting in this moment. Mindful of the quality of your attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.